may be seated. And in your bulletin, there is a page where you'll find uh, select portions of Proverbs 18 and then a outline that you probably will notice a pattern that's similar to the last two sermons before this one. I've been working through the book of Proverbs, looking for ancient wisdom for modern times. And while Pastor Tony was away, I did that sermon on intimacy, and people said, whoa, Pastor Nathan, intimacy. And then I did the sermon on money. Whoa, you don't talk about money. That's kind of… And then Pastor Tony's back, so we're talking about words today. None of us have any problems with the use of our words, so we'll just breeze through this one real quick. But I hope you've noticed kind of the pattern that we've been using in dissecting these subjects, whether it's intimacy or money or today words, that we start off with the foundation of whatever, we su- whatever subject we're dealing with is with God. God in creation, God founding, God establishing, God beginning. God began intimacy with one man and one woman in marriage. He began money by saying, it's all mine. I made it. It belongs to me, and you are a steward of what I give you. And today in words, we're going to see God being the foundation, the beginning point of understanding the use of words. And then we go through sort of like the rose of an orchard or of a berry patch, picking fruit off of this wonderful book of Proverbs and putting into various baskets the helpful things in that subject and some of the harmful things in each of those subjects. And as we put together the different categories of helpful and harmful, we wrap things up with realizing that the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the, the story of Christ redeeming us really comes to play in each of these areas because we fail. There's brokenness in our intimacy, and we need Jesus. There's brokenness in the way that we have used and continue to misuse our finances, so we need Jesus, our master, to serve, His guidance on where the treasure of our heart should be. And today, with our words, Jesus is going to redeem those words as the Word made flesh. So, you know, the Bible describes an entire spectrum of the way that words are used. And let's start with God. God speaks and uses words within the Trinity to Himself, and it's called His counsel. He takes counsel. Let us make man in our own image. God also speaks to creation. Let it be, and it is, through creating it, and then through managing and providentially governing and ordering all that's there through His words. He speaks to Himself, to the creation, and then the crown of creation, human beings. He reveals to us His will for us, who He is and how we are to live. He reveals it in creation. He reveals it in special revelation, His Word. Then there's us, people. We also, in our direction towards God, speak to Him, our prayers, our adoration, our confession, our thanksgiving, our supplication. In that direction, we use a lot of words. We also talk to ourselves. Uh, that's okay. It's healthy. It's not, you're not crazy, all right? There's this inner dialogue that we have with ourselves, subconscious and conscious, 
where we are processing the world around us. And what shapes our conversation with ourselves is sometimes the world, and sometimes it's our own flesh, and sometimes it's the devil speaking lies into our lives. So we need to shape our words and the way that we speak to ourselves by the Word of God, by what God says is true and noble and right, and to think on those things. But we not only think in terms of speaking to God, speaking to ourselves, but the book of Proverbs is particularly rich and particularly focused on the way that you and I speak with one another. And that's where we're going to be gathering most of the fruit from the book of Proverbs and putting it in our baskets. And that's what I did this week. I went through those 31 chapters of the book and tried to break them down into categories of helpful and harmful use of words. You know, we, as we work through God's Word, let us just hear a real rich section of Scripture, Proverbs 18, that helps us to understand uh, the importance and the use of our words. Follow along as I read Proverbs 18, some select passages there from your bulletin. Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. A fool takes pleasure, takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. The words of a man's mouth are deep waters. The fountain of wisdom is a bubbling brook. A fool's lips walk into a fight, and his mouth invites a beating. A fool's mouth is his ruin, and his lips are a snare to his soul. The words of a whisperer are like delicious morsels. They go down into the inner parts of the body. If one gives an answer before he hears, it is his folly and shame. The one who states this case first seems right until the other comes and examines him. A brother offended is more unyielding than a strong city, and quarreling is like the bars of a castle. From the fruit of a man's mouth, his stomach is satisfied. He's satisfied by the yield of his lips. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. Let's pray together. Lord, as we come to this passage, this book of Scripture, and as we seek to glean and to gather and to store up the fruit that is there for us, Lord, I pray that you would give us a a taste of the good fruit. And Lord, help us to know and to recognize that which is harmful, dangerous, hazardous to us, Lord. I pray that you would help us in our words to be careful and that we would be putting our choices up against your word and its guidance and its direction, Lord. Your word is abiding and true, and it is for us and for our children to obey, to live by. We can't do this if we were to try this in our own strength, to just muscle our way through and talk better and listen better. But Lord, we know that you have not left us alone. You've given us your spirit to indwell us, to assist us, to help us, to enable us by your grace to live transformed lives. Transform us, we pray, even in this hour, in Jesus' name. Amen. I think it's interesting, as a a pastor and as a counselor, I use a lot of words during a given day. And 
I know that there are people in different callings and different occupations that may use very few words in a day. Uh, my son Josh is working at a warehouse, giant warehouse that he's just plugged in and pushing a cart and pulling things off shelves and barely has very much interaction at all with people. Whereas my day is filled with emails and phone calls and conversations and face-to-face conversations, phone conversations, Skype and Zoom conversations. I feel like I'm just talking and talking and talking, using lots of words. Now, you may have known or heard the often cited statistic about how many words a woman uses and how many words a man uses. If you're familiar with uh, that statistic is thrown out there that on average a woman speaks 20,000 words a day and that roughly speaking men speak 7,000 words a day. Now I think that's totally bogus. It's not based on any study. It's not scientific at all. I think it was cited originally from a marriage pamphlet with no reference to science. But a scientific study was done in 2007 that found that women and men roughly use the same number of words in a day. Women use 16,215 words, then they stop. Not really. It's about an average of that many words. And men use 15,669 words, just a little bit less. Now, I don't know, maybe you fit into a stereotypical home and that causes problems in your life because you would say about your husband, boy, I just can't get him to open up. I can't get him to talk. I can't get him to express himself about these important things. Or maybe you're that husband that's saying, my wife just goes on and on and on. She nags and nags and I can't get her to shut up. Now, the use of words and how many we use is only one component of what the Bible says about our words. How many, how often, how loud, how soft, how sharp, how gentle. Every aspect of our word usage is important to God. And so we ought to consider for our lives, how should we sharpen up these words? I I think our words are tools, tools that God gives us. We are to use those instruments and to effectively minister to people, to be ambassadors for Christ to the lost, to be shepherds, one another encouragers for those who are believers. But sometimes those words are like out of tune. They're dull. And so we have to go to the blacksmith or the the, the forge and we need to get to that grindstone and really sharpen up those words so that they're better fit. They're just right. They're, to use another illustration that comes from Colossians chapter 4, that they're well-seasoned. The Apostle Paul says that in Colossians 4, 6, let your speech be always gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you might know how to answer each person. I want you to take your seasoning up to the next level because we should have more than just salt in our pantry, right? If I were to go to your home and I were to see all the spices there in your pantry, you probably only use five or six and the rest of them are just kind of like you've used once for that or once for that. Well, I I want you to develop an increasing use of seasoning of your speech so that it may be the right word for that person. 
it might be a custom fit for the person who you're trying to talk to, reach to. And so you're using just the right season. That person who's been a little dull of hearing, who's more set in their ways, uh, you might have to have a little more pow. You might have to pull out the cayenne pepper sauce. You might have to pull out the chili powder and really season your words so that they get the message. But there's some, specifically the, 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 the sorrowing and the suffering, that you're going to have to use more of those subtle spices, more of those gentle spices, so that with graciousness, in both cases, you're serving up those words so they fit the listener. This guy needs this seasoning. This gal needs that seasoning. And it's our job to serve up the best words as we can, to serve them up in such a way that, that they would be received and taken in and appreciated as well needed. But guess what? I'll say this as an aside. You're ultimately not responsible for whether somebody hears your words or not. Remember Jesus, the best teacher, the person who perfectly epitomized being full of grace and full of truth? had people who walked away from him, had people who didn't listen to him, who misunderstood his message. So as perfect and well-seasoned, you can be with your words, and maybe as sharp and careful as you can be with those instruments, you will not get your message across every time. Deal with it, okay? But let's attempt to create better uh, ways of, of using our words. And so, it, like the past few weeks, I've told you, um, email me for the complete list of the Proverbs that I'm going to go through because there's just too many for you to write down. And I don't want to slow us down by giving you the, the verse reference for every uh, proverb that I speak. But let's begin with this first foundational point, going back to creation, God speaks. You remember Genesis 1.1? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. Everything that is has been called into existence by God's creative word. He declared it to exist. And not only did he use his words to call it into the being, but then he uses words, because words matter, to define what those things are. It says that he, God called the light day, he called the darkness night, and there was evening and there was morning the first day. God speaks things into existence with his words, and then he defines their purpose, their intention, what, what they're to be by words as well. Words matter. They're important. They start with God's definition of things. And they're also, His general revelation is seen by what He creates, what we can see with our eyes, but He then speaks through His special revelation. If you remember how Hebrews 1 states it, long ago, at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He's also spoken to us by His Son. And so, the way of God revealing to himself, himself to us by the prophets, and then the prophets writing down, we have the Scriptures. And then Jesus being the Word made flesh, we have Him speaking to us, the very words of life. 
And so God is the beginning. God is the end. God is the definer of words. And so let's be careful to go to Him, to His revelation of how we should use our words instead of just picking up what's around us. You know, the immersion technique of learning a new language is the best way to learn it. You, you, you're in a, another language, another country. Once you're immersed in it, you're going to pick it up a whole lot quicker. If we would do that with even our own native language by using the Word of God as the immersion that we're going to soak ourselves in, we're going to start to pick that up. We're going to start to use that and live that. And I'll say as an aside, words matter, word choices matter. Try to use biblical terminology and speech as much as you can because the world and the devil have all sorts of twists and turns about the use of words that really bring confusion and bring a slanted worldview into the terminology that the world deals with. Let's just soak in the Word of God and immerse ourselves there. So, starting out with some hazardous and helpful word habits. Because in the Proverbs, the foolish and the wise person are are usually just like right after each other or right before each other spoken of, I didn't take apart the hazardous and the helpful, but you're going to hear them categorized in different subjects You'll hear the hazardous, then the helpful, or you'll hear the helpful, then the hazardous. You'll pick this up as we go along. But here are six main categories that I, I want us to look at. Honesty, not lying. Righteousness, not crooked or perverted. Listening versus babbling. My fun word last week was the sluggard. This week it's the babbler. That's just a a good-sounding word that fits that person who just talks and talks and talks. Slander and gossip, rash words versus apt or gentle words, and then listening to or ignoring words then have consequences. So those were the baskets that I set up as I went through, copy-paste, copy-paste, the different scriptures from Proverbs 1 to Proverbs 31. And as you put those in the same basket, you start to look at those fruit and examine them together. It's interesting the comparisons you'll see. You know, the formers of the Westminster Confession of Faith that we recited today, uh, they took the Ten Commandments and particularly the Ninth Commandment and described that Ninth Commandment, which is, you shall not bear false witness and took it apart into the things that are required in that ninth commandment, in the way that we use our words, and what uh, sins are forbidden in that same requirement, or in that same commandment. And so, they beautifully outline for us really the the whole of God's Word as it relates to, well, truth-telling. Listen to just some of the requirements. The duties required in the ninth commandment are preserving and promoting truth between man and man and the good name of our neighbor as well as our own, appearing and standing for truth and from the heart sincerely, freely, and clearly fully speaking the truth and only the truth in matters of judgment and justice and all things whatsoever. I think that he meant Facebook in that one. A charitable esteem of our neighbors, loving, desiring, and rejoicing in the good name, 
sorrowing and covering over their infirmities, not covering up sin and scandal, but covering over those weaknesses and frailties that we all exhibit just in charitable kindness and love, freely acknowledging their gifts and their graces, defending their innocency, ready receiving a good report and an unwillingness to admit an evil report concerning them, discouraging talebearers, flatterers, and slanderers, love and care of our own good name and defending it when need requires keeping of lawful promises, studying and practicing of whatever things are true, honest, lovely, and good report. Wow, if you just shape your words according to those requirements, amazing summary of the Scriptures on that. Then there's things that they've summarized from Scripture of those things that are forbidden. The sins forbidden in the ninth commandment are judging, are all prejudicing the truth and the good name of our neighbors as well as our own especially in public judicature, giving false evidence, suburning false witnesses, witnessing, wittingly appearing and pleading for an evil cause, outfacing and overbearing the truth, that's rejecting that truth, passing unjust sentence, calling evil good and good evil, rewarding the wicked with the work of righteous and the righteous according to the work of the wicked, forgery, concealing the truth, speaking the truth unseasonably or maliciously or wrong, speaking untruth, lying, slandering, backbiting, detracting, tailbearing, whispering, scoffing, reviling, rash, harsh, and partial censure. I'm only halfway through, and there are a ton of warnings that these things ought not to be a part of our words and our hearing just be based on the ninth commandment. So, this first category of hearing and speaking, honesty, not lying, in a list of seven abominations, three of those seven have the use of our words. In Proverbs 6, 16, there are six things the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to Him, haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among the brothers. Abominations. Three out of those seven are using our words. Whoever speaks the truth gives honest evidence, but a false witness utters deceit. Truthful lips endure forever, but a lying tongue is but for a moment. Deceit in the heart of those who devise evil, but those who plan peace have joy. Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who act faithfully are His delight. That word abomination we reserve and God reserves for things that really God hates. And yet, white lies, small exaggerations, little slip-ups of the truth, we minimize to the point We'd never think of them as abominations. Recalibrate your understanding of your words according to what God says about them and not what you think. A prudent man conceals knowledge, but the heart of fools proclaims folly. A faithful witness does not lie, but a false witness breathes out lies. A truthful witness saves lives, but one who breathes out lies is deceitful. There's punishment that will come to the false witness. They will perish. 
the wise guidance by wise guidance you can wage war and an abundance of counselors there is victory an evildoer listens to wicked lips and a liar gives a mischievous two ears to a mischievous tongue a man who bears false witness against his neighbor is like a war club a sword and a sharp arrow sometimes we don't think that our words are very damaging we don't think that they hurt other people but when the proverbs describe a war club a sword or a sharp arrow be careful with how you use those words they're as deadly and dangerous as any of those weapons just mentioned honesty not lying righteousness not crooked speech or perverted speech uh proverbs 8 says hear for i will speak noble things and from my lips will come what is right my mouth will utter truth wickedness is not as an abomination to my lips all the words of my mouth are righteous and there's nothing twisted or crooked the imagery here of words ought to be straight and right and correct that's how god wants them to be but there's the father of lies there is the one who would take god's truth and pervert it or twist it or turn it and make it crooked and we ought not to follow in the father of lies the thoughts of the righteous are just the counsels of the wicked are deceit the words of the wicked lie in wait for blood but the mouth of the upright delivers them An evil man is ensnared by the transgression of his lips but the righteous escapes trouble. You've seen when somebody gets caught in their lies and it traps them their 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 lips actually trap them because they just dug themselves a giant hole. Uh, open your mouth for the mute and for the rights of all who are destitute. This is a righteous use of our mouths when we are speaking up for those who can't speak up for themselves. open your mouth judge righteously defend the rights of the poor and the needy that's righteous use not crooked or perverted words how about listening versus babbling uh, we should be slow to speak but quick to listen but often we fall into the trap of just ready fire aim with our words and we just shoot off what is our opinion Proverbs knows that about us and says the wise of heart will receive commandments but a babbling fool will come to ruin on the lips of him who has understanding wisdom is found but a rod is for the back of him who lacks sense the wise lay up knowledge but the mouth of the fool brings ruin near whoever guards his mouth preserves his life he who opens wide his lips comes to ruin a fool takes no pleasure in understanding but only in expressing his opinion do you fall into this trap sometimes where somebody is telling you their opinion and while they're speaking you're not listening but you're formulating what you're going to say about what they said so you're not listening you're just going to get ready to unload your viewpoint that's foolish A fool's mouth is his ruin his lips are a snare to his soul the purpose in his, of a man's heart are like deep water and a man of understanding will draw it out the connection that Jesus makes between our heart and our mouth that out of the overflow of the heart that the mouth speaks so when you hear the mouth speaking that's really deeper waters that you need to draw out sometimes have you had this experience you see somebody everything about the way they look 
something's not right and you say, how are you doing? And they say, fine. Well, that's pretty shallow water right there. You need to get to the deeper water of really what's going on in their heart. If you're going to be a friend to that person, if you're going to be a brother or sister to that person, a caring confidant, go and dig deeper into what's going on in their hearts. Slander and gossip. I made this its own section because there are so many instances throughout Proverbs of slander and gossip, and because it is probably the most prominent way that I see the devil dividing the unity of believers through slander and through gossip. Slander is saying something that's untrue about somebody in a public way or behind their back. Gossip is saying something that could, may, or may not be true, but you're saying it to somebody who doesn't need to hear it, who ought not to hear it. Uh, it's a private matter, or it's tail-bearing, as the Scriptures say. We're telling tales on somebody, maybe so we can look like we're in the know. We, we have the inside track on things. And usually it involves putting something, somebody down so that I look better. Slander and gossip. Now hear, hear what Proverbs says on this. The one who conceals hatred has lying lips. Whoever utters slander is a fool. Do not slander a servant to his master, lest he curse you and you be held guilty. With the mouth, the godless man would destroy his neighbor, but by knowledge the righteous are delivered. Whoever belittles his neighbor lacks sense, but a man of understanding remains silent. Whoever goes about slandering reveals secrets, but he who is trustworthy in spirit keeps things covered. A worthless man plots evil, and his speech is like a scorching fire. A dishonest man spreads strife, and a whisperer separates close friends. Can I tell you that there have been so many close relationships that I've seen destroyed because of gossip and because of slander? It is a wicked poison that we need to defend against and be careful not only not to do it, but here's what the other half of this is. Don't entertain gossip and slander either. You know, when somebody shares with you, oh, I got to tell you about so-and-so, would you please be willing to be courageous and say, well, hold on just a second. If, if you're suspecting that they're just going to run them down or let you know about all their sins, you might just say, oh, hey, before you tell me about Joe, um, have you talked to him about that? that? That's the place that we start, right? Matthew 18 says, if your brother offends you, go to him between you and him. If he hears you, you win your brother. And only if he doesn't hear you do you bring anyone else into this matter. Gossip, slander, tail-bearing, it has many guises and, and excuses that we have for it, but let's keep watch on our tongue over those things. Rash words as opposed to apt words, gentle words. The rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Are you leaving a wake of destruction when you have conversations with people, stabbed bodies all around because your words are rash or they're harsh? Uh, Proverbs 15 says, A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. The tongue of the wise commends knowledge, but the mouths of fools pour out folly. A gentle tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. 
A hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger quiets contention. To make an apt answer is a joy to man. And a word in season, how good it is. It's like the Proverbs can't describe how beautiful enough. They they can't even put words to it. They have to give images and, and pictures in your mind of how wonderful it is to have good, apt, and gentle words, but how dangerous those rash and angry words can be. The heart of the righteous ponders how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours out evil things. Whoever restrains his words has knowledge, and he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. The beginning of strife is like the letting out of water, so quit before a quarrel breaks out. Picture a dam holding back a river, and the the conversation is escalating and escalating, and the dam starts to get breached. Strife starts to come out in this relationship, in this conversation. When do you work to fix that? Right away. Nip it in the bud. Fix that before it fully breaks out, and it just gets the quarrel will break out. Whoever gives thought to the Word will discover good. And blessed is he who trusts in the Lord. The wise of heart is called discerning, and sweetness of speech increases persuasiveness. Gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. Whoever is slow to anger is better than, a might, than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than one who takes a city. We think that we can win the conversation, we can win the deba- debate, we can win the argument, and settle it. But just because you won the debate doesn't mean that you've persuaded the heart of that person sitting across from you. And so being careful with our words and using apt and gentle words, that's where we truly help people to see their heart and change them rather than just beating them over the head with our words into submission. A fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise man holds it back. Do you see a man who's hasty in his words? There's more hope for a fool than for him. In the end, I think Jesus is our guide in how we speak apt words. He spoke full of grace and full of truth. There is no diminishing of truth so that he could be extra sweet and gracious. But there was no lack of grace and sweetness and kindness when he spoke that very truth that need to be heard. It's discernment, it's prudence, it's care that it takes for us to develop that. But are you willing to immerse yourself in what the Scriptures say about using wise words so that you can imitate Christ in these things? This last section I've entitled, Listening or Ignoring Words Have Consequences. And I really just want to cut to the chase that passage that's in your bulletin, Proverbs 18, every day I deal with verse 13 and verse 17, as I pastor and shepherd, as I parent, as I counsel, as I go about life, verse 13 tells me that I'm a fool if I give an answer before I hear it. That if you seek me out for an answer, I'm foolish to give you an answer before I listen to you, before I hear you. And verse 17 then goes on to say, the one who states his case first seems right until the other comes and examines him. Reserve judgment. Don't be prejudiced by hearing one side of the story and not the other. 
withhold your judgment until you hear the whole thing. How foolish I look when I see that article on the internet and that makes total sense to me. So I blast that out and say, this is the truth. And then I don't, I don't even bother to check that there's another side to this story. And actually some other people have some valid things to say. And I haven't heard the whole matter. And I just shoot off something too quickly. I prejudice myself by only listening to one side of the story. If we're going to be wise in the use of our words, we need to carefully listen to the matter before we answer it. Jesus is the Word made flesh for us. Jesus is the fulfilled the office of prophet by revealing to us by His Word and Spirit the will of God for our salvation. That's the first and foremost. He is the one like in our brokenness in intimacy is the one that brings healing and health. He's the one who in our mistreasuring and finding other masters brings us back to Himself as the master of our money and the true treasure that we should seek. And in the area of our words, today we see we ought to respond to His grace and mercy in buying us and purchasing us, that we don't belong to ourselves, but we belong to Him, how are we going to glorify God in our bodies? Well, with our tongues, with our mouth. We use them so much. How careful are we about using them to glorify God? You know, Paul puts together Jesus and His work and redemption in the book of Ephesians chapter 4 when he says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were selected, sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, anger, wrath, clamor, slander be put away from you along with all malice, but be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. If you have been forgiven by God, if you have been loved by God, if He's shown you His grace and mercy and put your sins as far as the east is from the west, the words that come out of your mouth ought to reflect that you're not your own anymore. They ought to reflect you've been shown grace. Can you show grace in your talk? And season your words so that those gracious words will be heard and listened to and cared for. God has spoken. He created all things, called them into being, and He gives words their meaning. He's told us about these hazardous words. He's told us about helpful words, and, and Jesus has modeled them perfectly. And Jesus became flesh so that He can suffer and die for our sinful words, for our broken words, and He could redeem us to speak grace and wise words to one another. Let's pray. Lord, we're broken in our words and we've misused our words and we've spoken in ways that have dishonored you, but Lord, you are full of grace. Where sin abounds, your grace superabounds. And so we come with humble hearts before you, knowing that you, Lord Jesus, were mocked by sinful men, 
that you were spit upon and lied about, you were slandered, false witnesses condemned you, and so you went to the cross for the lies, the slander, the gossip, the harsh and hurtful words that we've used, and yet you paid for them all. And we are cleansed, renewed and refreshed to live transformed lives by your grace. Help us to use wise words. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.